Welcome to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. I'm your host, Dom Horse. This is a podcast about the business of marketing, how to create value, who's doing it well, and how you can help your business win the future. Merry Christmas to you. I hope you've got all your shopping done. Today is the 19th of December, and I'm due to start mine anytime now. I think I might try and get it done, well, within the next 10 days or so. Anyway, I know this show has steered more and more towards business-to-business marketing over the last few months, and that has kind of been by design. This show reflects the lived experience of the crew that makes it, but more to the point, it's designed to sate the people that listen to it. And increasingly, our audience appears to be business to business. If this isn't you, well, please let me know. Uh, If you want to hear from a marketing leader that speaks direct to your situation, well, let me know. You can leave me a voicemail at our website at unicorny.co.uk. Please, if you want to nominate anyone to be on this show, that's the best way of doing it. Well, today I'm extremely excited to bring you the silky sounds of the unflappable Richard O'Connor, Chief Executive Officer of B2B Marketing and Propolis, which we're going to explain later. Richard is one of those guys that you want to be in your gang. Calm, cool, and super smart. He's got an incredibly impressive career behind him, which you can check out under the link section on our show notes. So today, we're talking overtly business to business, community, procurement, language, and we're going to tell you why you never need to talk about sales and marketing alignment ever again before we come on to meaty topics like B2B marketing effectiveness. Welcome to the Unicorny Project, Richard, and a very, very happy Christmas to you. And, and a happy Christmas to you. And it does feel like Christmas. Doesn't it just? There's no tinsel in the studio. No, no. But it's bloody cold outside. It certainly is. And it was dark when I woke up. Precisely. Therefore, it's Christmas. Well, happy Christmas to you too, dear listeners. We are going to talk about business-to-business marketing today, unsurprisingly. Um, I thought a good place to start, it's about two years now that you've been at the helm of B2B Marketing. And in that time, of course, we've seen the emergence of a really cool initiative. And I think we've had quite a few of the experts from Propolis through this studio, but we've never really talked about it. And as you are the gaffer, why don't we start today by looking at Propolis, what it is, who's using it, and kind of what the vision is for it. Timely. Uh, we did win two awards at our industry awards, the PPA Independent Publishers Association. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic news. Um, innovation of the Year and Digital Product of the Year, um, which is which is brilliant for the team but, and brilliant for, for Propolis. I mean, Propolis, it's one of those ones where actually when we speak to a lot of our uh, US customers, they, they struggle to pronounce it. So we have Propolis. But it's Propolis means... Um, first community in Greek, but it's also the glue that holds beehives together. And the principle behind Propolis was about bringing together the various strands of B2B and the content themes, the hives as it, as it was when it was originally launched, together into one place, one community, where B2B marketing leaders can come and, and discuss and access inspiration, uh, peer-to-peer networking, access expertise. And you've, you've talked about our, our experts in, in Propolis who've been, as you say, through your studio. Um, and, and it's really what we describe as community intelligence. And that's what we describe ourselves as a business. And that is the sum of the parts of B2B marketers who are practitioners who are doing the job, plus experts who have been B2B marketers and, you know, really have genuine domain expertise in everything from brand all the way through to, you know, customer experience and data, gives a kind of multiplier effect. And what we've seen 
in the last couple of years since we've grown Propolis is just this extraordinary growing community, growing engagements, um, more confidence for people to ask questions, to um, address challenges, share their issues. And I've said this a lot, but but the reason it works is because there's such a generosity of spirit in, in B2B and people are prepared to show vulnerability. Yeah, I think there's something magic that happens when you get a genuine peer-to-peer group to go to. So I belong to a peer group called Pep Talks. It's for private equity-backed CEOs because we share a lot of pain points, but the, the method of our funding and the value creation journey that we are all on is common. And, you know, as you say, the generosity of spirit, I think when you get proper community, one that shares both good and bad, it's a really special place to be. And I must tell you, by the way, Just yesterday, I met with one of the other agency members of Propolis here in this very building to discuss how we might work together to increase the value both that we get and that we can give to Propolis in the next year. So it's not just the CMOs on the platform now who are getting together to work out how to collaborate. The agencies are doing it too. We're literally asking ourselves, how can we collaborate while remaining competitive so we can get extra value from, but also give value back to the community? And I think I think that's really cool. And it gives us an idea of what community really is. But I must declare a slight conflict of interest. We are a paid member of Propolis. I'm talking about it because it works, by the way, not because I have anything to gain from it. Um, Propolis has a number of agency members. We are just one of them. Um, and as I was saying yesterday, um, when we met with uh, the other agency to talk about collaboration and value, you know, you don't need to compete on everything. And actually, sometimes, especially as a leader, you know, a marketing leader or business leader, it's a lonely place. So to be able to mix with people that have exactly the same concerns, exactly the same obstacles put in their way, it's absolutely invaluable. I'm going to be doing a lot on that this year. I'm going to try and work with uh, the other agencies in the network. Because apart from anything else, I think there are some big issues facing us. Here's one. The client agency model is broken and needs to be completely reset. I think we might come back to that today. But I think Propolis might be a really good vehicle for me to learn more about this, which I do on the podcast, by the way, uh, but also to get involved and, and see what CMOs are seeing, hearing, thinking, feeling about where agency belongs in their future. I think it's going to be very different than it is now. It's certainly looking very different than it was just a couple of years ago. And I think we should throw procurement into that conversation as well. Yes, we the P word. The conversation just yesterday, the procurement is helping nobody. It's not yeah. helping the clients and it's not helping the agencies or any third-party suppliers. So I think um, when it's done well, it can. There's a podcast devoted to just this subject. Okay. I don't know if you know it. It's called 20% The Marketing Procurement Podcast. And their mission is to work out how to procure creativity without killing it. And they don't yet have an answer, by the way. Yeah, this is a big... I think procurement's a massive issue. Agreed. Agreed. There's um, a resignation, I, I sense, with a lot of the larger global organisations, a resignation from the marketing function, and I'm sure other functions as well, that it is going to take 8 to 12 to 14 weeks, sometimes longer, um, rather than... So, so the, the time to value from bringing yeah. on a new partner yeah. is it's just way too long. And it, it just seems that it is the tail wagging the dog. Let's dig more into that. So marketing hasn't helped... And so I need to be very clear what we're talking about here because the word marketing means very many different things. I generally tend to talk about the business of marketing Mm -hmm. rather than the practice of marketing, the discipline of marketing or the department of marketing. They're all different things and they all mean different things to different people. But marketing as a a business hasn't really helped itself. Agency side, they've accepted procurement, basically reducing them, commoditizing them by just talking rate card. And I think in-house marketers 
probably don't have a choice, but ha- you know, non-specialist mo- uh, procurement people have come to the table and tried to turn the pitch process into a very similar process that you would use if you were buying, I don't know, four containers of potatoes. Mm. And marketing services cannot be procured that way. Quite, quite. And, and, and also, the, the initial conversation about cost... It should be done. That that should that should be the conversation, not yeah. procurement coming in and then trying to well, squeeze another five, ten percent off. I've learned marketing over the years and I've I've led marketing, but my background is sales. Yeah. And the first thing you learn about sales is, you know, yes, yes, put price into context of value, but don't be apologetic about no, price. Exactly. Because you're buying a service, you're exactly. buying something that is valuable and has a price attached to it. And the more apologetic you are about it, the the further you delay it and uh, become evasive about price, the more you show a lack of confidence in the value that you're delivering. Yeah, and the fact you're not prepared to talk about it, as you say, well, that's just signalling very strongly to the other side that you're not quite sure about the price you're charging or the value you're creating. I think there's another thing going on at the moment too, which we've just suffered from this week, a very large software application or platform company, I'm not going to say which they are, but they ran a procurement process to find a marketing agency and they asked for something to be delivered in a timeline at a quality level and price that we didn't believe was possible if they want to achieve the business outcome. You know, you can do what they want to achieve a creative output at a price, but you can't achieve what they want as a business. They just haven't allowed enough time or budget. But, you know, agencies are hungry at the moment. So another agency is going to promise the outcome for the budget in the time. They may even believe they can deliver it. I don't know. I mean, who knows? But when they don't deliver, those marketers will then... A, have egg on their face, and they're going to have to revisit the pitch list and go back to the agencies that told the truth in the first place. You know, I'm seeing a lot of that right now. People looking for silver bullets, imagining that that time, quality, price triangle doesn't exist. And you know, as a procurer, I think you probably get the agency and the relationship that your process picks. If you like, it's, you get what you deserve. So be really careful about the process you run. If you make it all about price or you don't listen to pushback, you just might be focusing on the wrong things. Richard, you've got a big background in both sales and marketing, so you must have seen this from all sides. What have you done? How have you helped get over this? When we train negotiation, and I've trained a lot of salespeople over the years, there's a difference between haggling and trading. Haggling is price. It's the lowest price you can possibly get, and it misses the point around value. When you're trading, you're trading value. Yeah. So you're trading variables. And the, the variable actually isn't price. It might be time. It might be the package. It yeah. might be the people involved. But you don't haggle. You trade on value because the price is invariably fair and well-priced. Yeah. Um, so th- th- that's the difference. You've got hagglers. Yeah. You know, you think about street market, you know, give you the best price. You know, you're haggling the lowest yeah. possible yeah common denominator well there's a famous triangle isn't it time quality price you can have two but not three and anyone that says you can have three isn't telling the truth so if you've got time quality price you want to keep quality the same but you want to do something in accelerated time something's got to give change the package increase the the price change the package we'll put more resources exactly right but some things you can't you can't accelerate like if you are trying to communicate with and influence or educate a market let's say you've got an early stage technology product Mm. And you're marketing to a budget that doesn't yet exist. So you've got to educate your market first. You can't accelerate that. You have to do it the proper way. Our regular listeners may have heard me rant about sales and marketing alignment as an issue before. Um, I I led into Jörg Kluckman's episode, which came out in early December, 
about things that give me misophonia. They make my head hurt. And one of those is sales and marketing alignment. Now, I happen to know that in uh, Propolis, you led a community sprint on this very topic. We did. We did. Talk to me about this issue. See, let's see if we can put it to bed. Well, a, a, a community sprint is where Propolis really really comes to life. Um, it's it's where we almost create empirical research based on everybody's collective expertise. We we did one on sales and marketing alignment and particularly sales enablement. And, you know, the, the cut a long story short, we ran it over two weeks. And the outcome was that the the very phrase sales enablement and sales and marketing alignment is is fundamentally the problem. Um, because you're looking at the wrong end of the telescope. It's all about navel-gazing. It's all about internal processes, and you kind of lose sight of the buyer. So what, what came from this, and again, you know, from everybody's input, was that buyer enablement is actually uh, the focus. Yeah. In fact, the more we talk about sales and marketing alignment, you're actually compounding the problem, um, because you're, you're suggesting that sales and marketing aren't aligned and focusing on the bit in the middle, Whereas actually, if you just focus on the buyer, and I know we talked about this at the B2B Marketing Awards after, probably after a couple of champagnes, but you know, there's a, there's an existential argument. Um, really, is marketing the right phrase, and is sales the right phrase? Perhaps that's why we see the rise of the chief revenue officer. I love the concept that it's called buyer enablement. Um, you know, um, when we try and keep it simple, stupid, the basic role of a business of a marketer is to take an innovation to market, right, to create value and to design the scheme to do that, which is make it easy for people to understand what you do and make it easy for them to buy it. So buyer enablement talks very strongly towards that, and I love that. The iceberg metaphor here, like Mm -hmm. the the bit of marketing you see above the water is the bit that needs to be the handover to sales, but there's all that bit below it. Sales have the conversation, and there is is a profession, and there's a slight difference between sales and marketing. Marketing is is an official profession. Actually, sales has struggled to be seen as a as a profession in itself, but it is, and there is a real skill in it, and there's a real capability that, that can be trained and coached and, and built. Um, sales have the conversation. They they know how to ask the right questions. They know how to identify need. They know how to negotiate. They know how to close. They know that there's the whole cadre of, of, you know, skill development and talent in sales. That's where sales come in. But to su- almost suggest there is a, a handoff where marketing goes, okay, my job's done. Off yeah. you go. Good luck. Yeah. I think is, I just think is outdated. Um, I have met a CEO in the cybersecurity world. I met him at InfoSec, who literally said, my work is done. I've handed over a million pounds of the pipeline. That's it. My work's done. I said, are you not interested in seeing how much of this converts into sales? Not my responsibility, he said. Mm. That's pretty scary, I reckon. Speaking to one large US, very large, uh, privately owned US manufacturer, tech manufacturer, where marketing reports into the, the CRO. Yeah. And... His responsibility extends to sales. So they are measured on the same things. Wow. Um, so they follow through yeah. um, through their ABM programs, literally all the way through to revenue generation. And I think if you've got that joint responsibility for the end goal, which is which is revenue generation growth. It's a good way for things to be going, I have to say. But so I would I would extend it even further. I'll start it from the very first point or pre-contact. Mm-hmm. So your very first point of trying to educate a, educate a market, all the way through the nurture process, all the way through the sales process. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to sales in a minute into customer success. Because once you've got a customer, your role is then to turn them into an advocate. Couldn't agree more. And, and that is part of the process too. And customer success is um, is is one of the, the, I think, the fastest growing and most important yeah. parts of, yeah. of, of the, the kind of buying cycle. 
So I think what's really interesting from a marketer's point of view is that marketers, as well as effectively being sales or helping out with a sales process, mm. are also buyers. And we all know what a good salesperson looks like and feels like when we're buying. And we all know what a good customer support or customer success person looks like post-sale. Mm. But sometimes there's a disconnect between what we consume, I think, and then what we try and create for our customers. But if we try and create that best experience every time, the concept of sales and marketing alignment also disappears mm. because it's what's best for the customer. Exactly, exactly what it's, you were saying. It's the buyer journey. Yeah. It is the buyer yeah. journey. and It's, it's not the every, marketer's every, journey. Every, yeah. It's the buyer's journey. It's their journey. Previous life, we had a, a whole process, you know, FTSE 250 organisation called Ditlock, um, Day in the Life of a Customer, okay. where the sales and marketing team were targeted with spending time with customers. What was eye-opening about it is the lack of understanding of the buyer process, the overestimation of the value they saw in our products, yeah. in our relationships, and you know the fact that we you know really where we thought we were kind of you know top of mind. We were we were low down a very low list of priorities. <laughs> but the important thing is when they needed us, when they needed to have that conversation that's when we needed to react. That's when we needed to be really good. That's when we needed to be available and professional. But I think when you sit on the customer side and they're understanding that the number of priorities they're juggling, particularly in senior leadership roles, you just sit somewhere really small. And I think we talked about the buying cycle, you know, we, we, it might take three to six months, but actually there'll be a point where the customer says, right now I'm ready. We all think we're far more important exactly. in our customers' lives than we actually are. We overestimate in the short term, yeah. underestimate in the long term. Doesn't Richard have one of those voices? He's so easy to listen to. You know, in our interview, I ramped up my normal rant level to see if I could get him to follow suit, but he just didn't. Ever the professional, he stayed calm. So calm, I actually felt the need to edit out the worst of my indiscretions this time around. But what a clear vision he has. We started talking about Propolis, how it's becoming a genuine community of marketers who give to get who combine practical experience with domain expertise to create a multiplier effect. And now agencies like mine can play too. I think we're all part of something that's pretty powerful. Communities have rules, otherwise they become chaotic. And I've seen firsthand how growing community engagement in Propolis has increased the confidence of its members to share challenges, ask questions and exchange knowledge. That's beneficial for everyone involved. You know, I have nothing to gain but the community effect. So if you're not a community member, but you like the sound of it, why not drop me a line? There's a generosity of spirit in that community which allows for vulnerability, people who don't know stuff, peer-to-peer -peer sharing, you know, both of success and failure. It really is a special place to be. So if you like the sound of it, give me a shout. We also talked about the procurement problem. We criticised the current procurement process, which many believe is flawed and doesn't adequately, uh, adequately account for the value of creative services. And there is a whole podcast dedicated to this one subject. Drop me a line if you want to know more about that. No one ever needs to use the phrase sales and marketing alignment again in my presence. By the way, Richard, to my mind, has killed this forever. He's also killed that awful phrase sales enablement. We need to focus on buyer enablement and stop being so inward looking. There you go. I reckon that was a pretty good first half. And next, we are going to tackle more touchy subjects for B2B marketers. And to try and make up for my academic underachievement, I tried to impress Richard with an Oscar Wilde quote. I think he humoured me. You decide. So maybe 
next year, 2024, mm-hmm. Richard, is the year where the marketing revolution will be complete. And I'm going to quote Oscar Wilde here. <laughs> the revolution will be complete when the language is perfect. I know this is something very close to your heart. Talk to me about your theory on the need for marketers to be bilingual. Bilingual is, is right. At, at worst, bilingual. I mean, ideally, speaking the same language, but at worst, bilingual. And what I mean by that is that the language that happens within the marketing function that everybody understands everybody knows and everybody kind of rattles out as if it's you know a collective understanding is not the same that is required at the board level or with sales or with product or other parts of the business because they don't care I mean, arguably, sales care about the the leads they get. They don't care whether it's an MQL, SQL, SAL. They understand what those phrases are. But is this customer ready to buy? Is it a lead, a hot lead? That's what. That's actually what they care about. Yeah. Is this a hot lead? If not, I'm I'm, I'm not really interested. Brilliant. Whatever it is you do um, to get them to be a hot lead, go go off and do it. And then come back and have a hot lead. They don't care. The most important language barrier uh, and opportunity is for marketers to understand what the CFO cares about, the finance function cares about, the CEO cares about. And in some fortunate businesses where, you know, the the marketer um, becomes the CEO, you might get a bit more understanding. But broadly speaking, they care about growth and they care about delivery and execution of the strategy. What often happens in organisations is that there's just too much navel-gazing. You know, the strategy is set at the start of the year. There's a, a roadshow that happens perhaps over a period of a month um, where, you know, the, the, the CEO or, or his plus ones go around and talk about the strategy. And then that strategy, it, it, it still remains the same. The CEO's thinking about it. The CFO's probably thinking about it. But then sales, marketing, other functions go off and start to do their own thing. And over time, actually, I think in organisations, those functions, unless they are constantly looking back at the strategy and making sure that what they're doing aligns to the strategy, they yeah. get further and further away. And I think that's where the challenge lies about what a really good CMO does is come back to the board or come back to their senior leadership team and say, right, okay, you know, where are we with the strategy? Is there any deviation from strategy? And I know what the overarching objectives are, and this is what we're doing to make sure that we're delivering on that strategy, not talking about MQLs, SQLs. It's hard, I guess, though, when you're, if you're being very hard driven quarterly to produce results, and I know a lot of US businesses particularly public markets, you know, they have to deliver strong quarterly results or or their taste. I've seen a lot of CMOs in this market who are completely misaligned by their incentive programs where they just are measured by MQLs. And and the challenge I think is you get you end up with a lot of marketing departments where the process of marketing becomes a mean unto itself. Like your job is to produce MQLs that the sales team don't want, that you know are useless, but if you don't produce them you get fired. So what are you going to do, right? And I absolutely buy 100% what you're saying about tying it back to strategy, that in an ideal world, you know, you need to say the so what. We want to do this because, okay, so what? What's going to happen? How is that going to work? And I don't think that rigour is often applied. So the marketing department and their agency partners then get all tied up in the outputs. It's like, oh, we're going to do a campaign without remembering why we're doing the campaign or what the objective is. It's a very broad generalisation, I know, and, and I'm sure a lot of people want to tar and feather me again. But I think a lot of people get caught up in the process of, you know, are we going to win an award with this campaign? Mm. It's like, how brave can we be? So they get caught up in the process, not the outcome. Mm. And, and I think one of the most damaging 
phrases I think I've that I think has become you know common in business is follow the process, not the outcome. No one cares about the process. It's all about the outcome. And if you can produce the outcome without a complicated process, I think this is why AI is so po- mm-hmm. is, is so important. If you can achieve the outcome by having less or process or fewer steps in your process, so much the better. So I take it, Richard, I'm going to give you a high five on that one. <laughs> strategy, like everything must tie back to strategy. And you've got to challenge yourself because in large organisations, so having worked in large organisations, I'll give you a really good example. We did a a value stream mapping exercise with a large transformation company called UBM, big sales and marketing transformation, Salesforce rollout, new sales process. We took 115 sales job titles down to a family of, of 13 in wow. EMEA, Asia and Americas, wow. you know, really complex project over three years. And we did a value stream mapping exercise. So value stream mapping is looking at process, what's value added to the customer, what's wasted effort. And during that process, we found somebody um, who worked in finance who spent four days a week producing a very, very complex financial report, thinking it was going to the board, where it was getting, you know, real scrutiny, um, good coverage, you know, big tick, you know, great report. What we found in that process is that that went to their boss and no further. No, no way. Four days a week. Four days a week. That's terrible. I mean, it was really, and, and they cried. They actually, they were really upset. I'm not surprised. Um, that when we uncovered this, and that is the problem. And if you, if you put that into any function, but let's think about marketing for a second. If you're not pursuing strategy and you're not aligning yeah. to strategy, nobody will notice until you get much yeah. further into the year because everyone's busy because your priorities, you're, you're a functional head. Um, there's an expectation that you are going to be following strategy and not you know, slightly going down a, a different path. Nobody's really going to notice in large organisations because everyone is getting on with their own job and unless you've got a really diligent manager or leader who is you know keeping a really close eye on on the day-to-day which frankly nobody has time to do then I think over the course of a year it doesn't get noticed so you can you can you know very very steadily just get further away from the overall business objects and I think that's where some of the challenges come um, with with the credibility of, of, of sales and marketing unfortunately marketing often gets the because of the history of marketing and because there's this, you know, we, we talked about this whole attitude about colouring in PowerPoint yeah, presentations yeah. in the basement, that sort of thing, yeah. that, that moniker. I think that's partly where it comes from. And I think the strongest, best marketing leaders are the ones that um, actually break free from that. And, you know, no CFO, no CMO, uh, uh, CEO is going to be upset if a marketer, a senior marketer, doesn't even need to be the CMO, comes back and says, I just want to check, you know, any deviation to strategy, I want to make sure that the business that I'm running is aligned to our overall objectives. I mean, we've seen two very strong marketing leaders in this studio talk actually about the solution to this problem, both of whom are doing um, marketing transformation work. Mm-hmm. They're both centralising their brand and strategy piece into an in-house agency and they're decentralizing the activation of that at the same time. So it's centralization and decentralization at the same time. And, and, and in doing so, they're keeping a very, very firm grip on making sure that the whole of the marketing effort is aligned to strategy because that's the piece that's been centralized. Whereas they're enabling all of their field marketing people to get on and do what they do best, make local decisions, mm-hmm. interpret locally, but they're keeping a very tight control. So it's interesting hearing the problem so I knew that they were creating a solution to something. Now you've given them the problem that that solution is fitting. So, wow. Not, not all organisations. Some are really good at it. Of course. Um, yeah. But I think there is a problem. And actually the larger and more complex and um, uh, the, 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 the bigger the head count and the more, the more locations. Yeah. And, you know, we, we probably could go down this path, but let's not. 
the the less people are in the office. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's let's harder to spot. Let's, let's not go down that one. A, actually, the mm. driver is more for less, which is one of the key drivers everyone's got. Mm. And actually, you can achieve a more efficient, more productive marketing business by hybridizing between in-house agency and external agencies. We know that. And we support that, by the way, even as a, an agency mm-hmm. group. But also digital, particularly large language models and generative models, not mm-hmm. going to use the A word, particularly those enable people to do stuff locally and the risk of shadow marketers becomes much larger. Right. So by transforming in that way, they're, they're seeing you know, a problem off before it starts to happen. I completely agree. I think that's right. Language. So we've started looking at some of the problem. We've talked about how marketers need, ideally we want to talk the same language as the rest of the business and stop inventing garbage that we say to each other to make ourselves sound either trendy or, or important. Let's talk about return on investment. It's Let's. one of my little bet noir this. And I, and I don't, I really actually don't have a very good way of articulating it. I've been trying on several of the episodes. My challenge with it is that if you say ROI to a marketer and you say ROI to a CFO or a CEO, mm-hmm. they both understand what you're talking about, but in their minds, they're building very different pictures. Um, and I don't really know where I'm going with this one. It, I'm looking for help, actually, Richard. It, help me out. It's not just ROI, but, although I agree. ROI to the CFO and arguably the CEO is a very different ROI to the marketing function. So almost almost divided by a common language. Yep. And I think an understanding of, we talked about the you know marketers being bilingual, but understanding what matters to the audience that you're talking to uh, in this case, the EO and the FO, right? Yeah, quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. quite. Yep. Um, is really important. And CFOs and finance directors and heads of finance get get bad press sometimes, and so you know feel like they're, you know, the the enemy of of the marketing function. Quite the opposite. <laughs> I, if you if you speak their language, I agree, and you understand as a marketing function how you are delivering the business's fundamental objectives, and we talk about strategy again, yep. you'll find the CFO will be your greatest ally it's, it's about value isn't it it's Absolutely. all about creating value so i think one of the challenges i have with the, with the roi phrase is it seems to assume it's all about money profit and sometimes value isn't mm-hmm. necessarily about revenue or profit mm-hmm. there's an enormous amount of value created in other ways as we've explored on this podcast in the past like quality of revenue yeah uh, ebit does one of the levers but it's only one of them there's quality of revenue there's market focus there's the you know there are intangible assets like You're branding competing. brand value yep. there are all these other ways that you can create value and as i think as long as marketers we can communicate that properly to the rest of the business and they can see exactly how value is being created then in the eo and fo you'll have amazing advocates mm. And you're right, it's not just about top-line revenue and it's not just about EBITDA because no business leader is short-sighted enough to realise, I mean, they're, they're ultimately what, what matters, but they're not short-sighted enough to realise that there are staging posts along the way that help with long-term value. Brand yes. uh, is, is a very good example. And actually measuring brand is, is becoming, I wouldn't say easier, but but actually, you know, there's companies like Brand Finance who do a very good job of, yes. um, you know, recognising and putting a, uh, a financial value against investment in, in brand. Yeah, and they're blazing a trail in that. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they really yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on a little bit, but only a little bit. So we're, we're talking about ROI. We're talking about building long-term value. What we're actually talking about, of course, is marketing effectiveness. Uh, and effectiveness is something that is on everyone's lips at the moment. Mm. Big mouth for the sector. And I say that with great respect because I've done his mini MBA, Ritson, uh, caused great controversy earlier this month when he said the whole of the USA is less effective than the whole of the rest of the world when it comes to marketing. Um, I think he was, as he normally does, principally thinking about consumer marketing. In B2B, 
how top of the agenda is marketing effectiveness? High, very high. Um, notwithstanding the point around ROI not necessarily being the right measure or, yeah. or lens. So we've actually been asked by our community in, in Propolis to research some B2B marketing uh, metrics. And we've launched what we call the, the, the Propolis Community Index, which is a set of benchmarks on budget and ROI and headcount and organisational design. In January, we launched our second set of metrics uh, on um, ABM performance and campaign performance. And the reason it's important is because we haven't seen out there, and certainly our members haven't seen out there, a set of metrics that are not static. So there's lots of people who publish metrics, but almost, you know, by the time you've done the three months of research and yeah. printed them, they're out of date. So what we've done with the community index is what we call a contributory data model. So our members contribute their data in return for the aggregate data of, of the community. And we top it up with with some market research uh, uh, as well. What it does is, is reflect market differences so we cover a number of verticals okay. uh, as well as regional differences but it also reflects cyclicality as well so we see this quarter by quarter changing so when there's an up an upturn okay. we get a reflection of you know how those marketing metrics uh, are reflecting an upturn um an upturn would be nice wouldn't it wouldn't it be uh, nice? hopefully yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah, next yeah. year but in a downturn, it also reflects that cyclicality. And we know from our members that they're using this to inform budget planning, uh, inform conversations That's really um, interesting. At, at board level, um, to, to be able to actually, you know, go with a set of numbers um, that can help, you know, convince you know, and wrangle for more budget or uh, headcount or, or, you know, help other people understand, that, you know, the value that marketing delivers. That's quant. Yes. And you're taking sentiment and opinion on the market. What I'm interested in is your effectiveness or the marketing effectiveness that Propolis is talking about is at a market level, which is, I think, much more relevant in B2B because, as you say, cyclicality is yes. a really big, yes. a really big influence on what you do and when. Yeah, and there, and there are genuine variations between markets. You know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the tech spend, yeah. uh, tech headcount changes in the last year have reflect a, a market that's been significantly more challenged. Financial services who, you know, tend to have a more even performance uh, in, in an up market, you know, or a down market. We've seen that those metrics have remained uh, broadly steady, but there yeah. is definite variation in key markets, in certain markets yes, and in regions. So I'm fascinated by this stuff. So I, and it's interesting. So I go, I talk to a lot of people, mm -hmm. obviously in my role, and I'm and I'm picking up from early signs from people I'm talking to that financial services at the moment is catching a bit of a cold. They're starting just to be just that little bit more cautious. Mm -hmm. They're looking at the market next year. They don't like what they're seeing, and they're not stopping activity, but they're just slowly pulling their horns in. And it's the first time I think I've seen that in. An FS really since pre-COVID. Actually, we're going to see that flow through into the metrics because okay. we, at the end of the year, we we stop, reset, start again, okay. um, so that we get um, you know quarter by quarter and then year on year reflection of of, of changes in the market. If that is the case, and I, I do agree with you, there is a, a small sniff of it. Yeah, um, we'll see that come through in the numbers. And manufacturing, I think, had a really hard year this year, but mm. I'm hoping that there may be a slow recovery next year. Yeah, I think it's been a, a tougher year for. For manufacturers, albeit uh, I think we're still seeing the sort of bounce that they had for, for marketing yeah. um, from COVID, where you know field sales teams, where you know manufacturers, where, where sales drove the bus, um, okay. and then field sales teams couldn't get out yes. and realised that actually they need to invest a bit more in marketing. Um, I, I think we're still seeing you know some of that come through. 
Um, I think a lot of manufacturing firms have, have invested quite heavily in marketing yeah. because they realised they um, were a little bit behind. Yeah, which you would then expect to start emerging. And, and there's been some good big announcements recently about you know massive investments into the mm. northeast. And yeah, so look, hopefully manufacturing. How often do you publish, or is, is this an ongoing? It's ongoing. Or, okay. It's ongoing. So we've got three tranches of data. So we've yeah. had um, the, f- the first tranche of data, which is about budget and ROI. It's about, uh, as I say, organisational design. Yeah. It's been about customer um, attrition customer metrics. Um, the second set of data, as I said, is, is coming out in January. Um, so that will be on campaign performance. Yep. So more more granular uh, budget and ROI. I'm sorry, we have used the word ROI. Uh, look, if there's a campaign, I get it. Exactly. Run a campaign, exactly. It, campaign it is campaign ROI. ROI. That's very if true. Money goes in, money must come back. <laughs> <laughs> but also ABM. Yep. And I don't think, I, I haven't seen a set of really granular metrics on ABM performance. No, no. Um, interesting, so yeah. we've spent a lot of time creating yeah. the the questions on how do we how do we measure the impact of ABM? You yeah. know, I mean, you came to our ABM conference earlier in the year, and it was it feels like ABM has just had a not that it needed it, but it's almost had a, a shot in the arm. That's, it's had a renaissance, hasn't it's, it? It really has. I, know, I, know. Um, I don't think it was moribund, but I think it was reaching a sort of a plateau. And I, th- you know, certainly from our ABM conference this year, there are more people doing it. There are, are more people accelerating. AI has, um, you know, hugely refreshed the opportunities yeah. with yeah. with ABM for more businesses, just because you know the cost of entry with AI gets lower, so more yeah. more more opportunities. So having some ABM metrics, I think, will be really powerful. Looking forward to it. Of that data, how much is public and how much is community only? It's behind the, the membership paywall. Okay. It is a membership uh, benefit, so and we do publish. We do publish. Um, uh, bits of it because I think it's good for the community and we've got a wider yeah we, we take a wider responsibility for you know informing the yep. b2b marketing community beyond propolis so I'd, I'd, I'd love someone to come back we just bring the public stuff and bring the headlines sure and like if you're going to do once a quarter announcement we'll do a slot on yeah. on yeah. one of our one of our episodes great to feature that would be, be great, great. That'd really be great. good yeah, really good. good it'd be a good good discussion point Richard, thank you very much for coming to see us That's at Unicorny. Great to and see you. Uh, look, let's get together a little bit more regularly in the new year. Yeah, great. Maybe to discuss the, like the public bits you can talk about from the index because I'm really interested. Yeah, in that. I'd love to. Great, great, and, and again, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everyone. Actually, I've just realised uh, I've been a real Grinch all episode, haven't I? Yeah, but it's fine. It's fine. Oh, no, it's all for the good of B two B. Yeah, and, yeah. There wasn't a lot of festive spirit, but there uh, wasn't, was there? Oh well. <laughs> Next week we've got the uh, unicorny Christmas party. We'll have some festivities. I think we're. I think we rant. We're going to rant again at the Christmas party. But there you go. Well, it's Christmas, so I'm going to keep this very short. Thank you very much indeed, Richard O'Connor, for coming to see us at such a busy time of year. I loved our chat, and I have a feeling we're probably going to have more to talk about in the new year. I'm going to publish a timeline on the show notes and we'll also link a blog there with some considered takeaways. Um, Thank you to you for listening, especially at this busy time of year. Although I know a lot of people like to put their earbuds in and listen to us while they go about their daily chores. Well, that's it. No smart sum up, no piggybacking my guest's brilliance, no sassy sign off. It's Christmas. I hope you have a fabulous time with your friends and family. But if your Christmas is crap, well, you could always join us for the unicorny Christmas party on Boxing Day. Yay. Bon Noël, frohe Weihnachten, Feliz Navidad, Buon Natale, Feine Kerst, and all of the rest. Have a very, very Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. If you've enjoyed the show, why not hit follow? 
we'd love you to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And it only takes a few seconds, but it means a lot to us. Or if it's easier for you, please recommend us to a friend or post on LinkedIn tagging at Unicorny. I'm your host, Dom Hawes. Nicola Fairley is the series producer. Laura Taylor McAllister is the production assistant. Pete Allen is the editor. And Ornella Weston and me, Dom Hawes, are your writers. Unicorny is a Selby Anderson production. Now, go win the future. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.